everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. Last week, you heard the incredulous story of an essay that rocked academia, stunned its students, and offended just about every, quote, snowflake within a university mile. That essay? It's not a daycare. It's a university. Its writer, president of the historic Oklahoma Wesleyan University, speaker and author of Why I Am a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, and the viral op-ed that spawned his latest critical must-read, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome back to Testimony for part two of my exclusive, the Honorable Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, welcome back to Testimony. Oh, as always, it's my pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's so great to have you. Before we begin part two of our conversation today, I would just like for our listeners to hear a little of your own story, how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And also, I want to give a shout out to my good friend and former testimony guest, New York Times bestselling author and global economist, Kevin Freeman. A thank you to him for connecting us. Dr. Piper, tell us a little about your story and how your faith enabled you to do what you are doing so powerfully today. Well, I'd be honored to, but first of all, I need to thank Kevin Freeman myself. And you may not know this, Kevin is actually a member of the Board of Trustees here at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. So he's a great man, a great scholar, a great writer, an excellent communicator. Everybody needs to go pick up his book also. Um, my testimony, very briefly. I was raised by a Christian mother. Uh, my father at the time was not a believer. He did accept Jesus about 10 years before he died. Uh, but he was a later years conversion rather than somebody who had lived his entire life as a Christian. I came to faith in Christ through the church that my mother dragged all the boys off to attend every every <laughs> Sunday. And then I was nurtured through Christian camp as a young teenager, which I would give credit to uh, as, as much as anything in God's providence for keeping me well-rooted and grounded. Um, went to a Christian college. That changed everything. I grew up in a blue-collar family, a truck driver dad, a stay-at-home mom. Neither one of them had high school diplomas, so going to college was a very unusual thing. Uh, I decided to give it a try, so after working in the factory, I'd wash off the grease and drive up the road to the closest Christian college. I found out that I could actually do a halfway decent job in the classroom, so I sold my car, and the rest is history. Uh, paid for my first semester of education and then trusted God to provide for the rest. So God used Christian education to change my life. Um, I suppose in summary on my testimony, I think of the uh, story of The Curate's Awakening, The Curate's Awakening by George MacDonald, who had a great deal to do with C.S. Lewis's conversion. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story of a curate, a pastor, who really wasn't a true believer, but through the course of his life he began to doubt. Uh, he was going through administering the uh, sacraments of the church, if you will, but he was doing it as a job rather than as a faithful Christian. Somebody challenged him one day and asked him if he really believed all this quote-unquote nonsense that he was preaching and teaching from the pulpit. 
He was honest enough to say to himself, I don't know if I believe this, but I ought to investigate it. After spending his entire life investigating it, he concluded with this statement. In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I have seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and I therefore cast my lot with those of the crucified. I'll repeat that. In my attempt to obey the words of recorded as Christ, I've seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and therefore I cast my lot with those of the crucified. I think that's a powerful testimony of whether or not belief or behavior comes first. I don't know for sure. Sometimes behavior might influence our belief, and obviously our belief influences our behavior. We do know that it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. But if somebody actually doubts Jesus, maybe they ought to go and read the words of Christ and try obeying them. And in God's grace and providence, I would argue, they'll probably come to accepting him as Lord. Amen and amen, Dr. Everett Piper, author of the runaway bestseller, Not a Daycare, and president of the historic Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Piper, there is so much commentary on, quote, safe places and campus writers on conservative websites right now. What point does your book make that hasn't been made elsewhere? Well, so few people are willing to confront this nonsense. Uh, why are people even listening to me? Why do you care to talk to me on this radio station? And why does Fox News and Fox and Friends and Glenn Beck and everybody else, why do they care? 700 Club, Pat Robertson, why do they care to ask me to comment on this? It's because I'm one of the few that's willing to speak up. I'm one of the few guys, college presidents at least, that's willing to stick his head out of a foxhole and say, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. This is literal nonsense. I think one of the points that I've made that very few others are making, and I'm not trying to brag, I hope it doesn't come across that way, Mm -mm. is that this is fascism, it's not freedom. Mm -hmm. It's antithetical to the classical liberal arts academy. Why did I title my first book, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas? It's because as a bold conservative, I'm more classically liberal, if you will, than my left-of-center counterpart because I believe in liberty, liberation, and freedom, and justice. I believe in an education for a free man and a free woman and a free society and free thinking, and I believe that the truth will set us free. So in other words, as a conservative, I'm waving the banner of freedom more so than Berkeley is. I would argue that Berkeley isn't the birthplace of free speech, that Bethlehem is, and the proof's in the pudding. Berkeley is silencing debate while Jesus encourages it. We are made in the image of God. We're the Imago Dei. We therefore have the ability, the responsibility, to enter into a good, robust exchange of ideas because we have the thumbprint of God on our soul, on our heart, and on our mind, and we can pursue truth. I'm not sure how many other people are actually saying that, so perhaps that's the best answer to your question, pursuing truth, not celebrating opinions. In Not a Daycare, you talk about the, quote, prodigal university. Please explain. Well, I would argue the university has a great inheritance. The ivory tower is born with the inheritance of truth. I mean, Oxford was founded, as I've said earlier, with the, with the assumption of veritas, Latin for truth, and that the words of Jesus will prevail. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Every Ivy League institution was founded as a, with the exception of one, was founded in a biblical worldview, in a Judeo-Christian ethic, as a Christian institution. Harvard, for example, had the motto to lay Christ at the bottom as the foundation of all learning. So how far have we left our inheritance, our, our Father's home? We demanded that we 
get our inheritance early and we've gone off and we've squandered it and we've lived in the pig slop and we've wallowed around in a postmodern culture where we've abandoned and denied everything our father taught us and gave us. Well, it's high time we recognize that this is not working well and that the only way we're going to recover the blessings of freedom and truth that were ours and our inheritance is return home to our father that gave them to us in the first place. Postmodernity is not working well. Our opinions are not working well. I've often said I don't give you a degree in opinions because they're dangerous. They always lead to bondage and slavery. Pol Pot and Mao and Robespierre and Chavez and Hitler and Mussolini, all the despots of history had opinions and it didn't end well. We need to recognize that Jesus said the truth shall set you free, not your opinion. And education should be about pursuing that truth rather than propping up your feelings and your opinions. It's only then that you will enjoy the maximum amount of human freedom ever known in human history. Amen and amen. In our remaining time here today, Doctor, I'd like you to address the LGBT issue and the sin issue and the millennial snowflake generation view of both and how you, as president of Wesleyan Oklahoma University, are handling that. Well, first of all, the LGBT issue is so easy to refute. I mean, essentially, we have a worldview that has dumbed down the definition of the human being to nothing but the sum total of what we're inclined to do. We are now defined by our desires. Our belly and our gut and our appetite becomes the end-all and be-all of our identity. Well, surely you are more than what you're inclined to do. And for me to suggest otherwise would be to insult you. You have free will and human responsibility and culpability, and you can choose not to do some certain things that you're inclined to do, and so can I. I'm inclined to do a lot of things that I know I'm not supposed to do, and therefore I choose not to do those things. So dumbing down the definition of the human being to nothing but inclinations is a lie. It's an insult. Also, it is the ultimate insult to the female to suggest that she's not a biological fact, but merely a fabrication and a fantasy of a dysphoric male that wants to raise his hand on a given day and say, I'm a woman. (laughs) I can't be pro-woman and deny that a woman is real. So again, the conservative is the true feminist here because I don't deny the feminine. You can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine. I can't be pro-woman if I tell you you're not real. So we need to rise up and recognize that the winning argument for feminism, for women's rights, for the human being, is the biblical argument because it doesn't dumb you down to the animal, the imago dog. It actually elevates you to the imago dei, the image of God. Amen and amen, beautifully said. The Bible clearly states that he who says they have no sin is a liar, and the truth is not in them. So what is the overarching, I would say, banner over the millennial snowflake generation that propels their view against your view, making them right and you wrong? I think they have one of Chuck Colson's first two questions completely wrong or the answer to the question completely wrong. Chuck said that you have to get the basic questions right. And the two foremost questions are origins of man and nature of man. Where did we come from and what is our nature? And the millennials have been taught the exact opposite of what's true. They've been taught a lie, that we're nothing but the products of the primordial ooze. We've rose up out of the swamp just like an amoeba or any biological mass, and we have no moral significance over and above the Ebola virus. Well, this is absurd. And if we actually believe this nonsense, then you have no more right to exist than the virus does. So if you become a plague on the planet, then we can get rid of you just as much as we could get rid of anything else that we've determined, power has determined, should be exterminated. 
This is a very dangerous worldview. But the other thing millennials believe is that the nature of man is good. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe they're sinners to the point where they can practice any sexual act, for example, and call it recreation and consumption rather than a moral decision. They believe that sex is just consumption and recreation now. It has no moral significance whatsoever. And it's not just sex, it's any other behavior. They don't believe that there's any such thing as sin, and they therefore don't believe that they're sinners, therefore they have the answer to the nature of man wrong, and therefore their solutions are going to be power rather than the principles of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to nationally recognized author, speaker, and fifth president of the historic Oklahoma Wesleyan University, Dr. Everett Piper. His critical must-read, not a daycare. You can learn more about Dr. Piper's work, ministry, and mission by visiting everettpiper.com and get his book, Not a Daycare. Dr. Piper, it has once again been an absolute honor having you share just a little of your own story. Your book, Not a Daycare, is a must-read for every student, parent, faculty, corporate, legislative, church, and governmental institution in America today. The scriptures are clear. In the last days, good will be spoken of as evil. Evil will be spoken of as good. It appears we are there, and your book, Not a Daycare, addresses these issues, and powerfully so, we thank you, Dr. Everett Piper, and God bless you. And bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.